Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the HR Means Business podcast. I'm your host, Mervyn Dinan, and today we're going to be talking about something which is quite important to me, uh, and that is well-being, and particularly well-being at work. Um, if you listened to the launch episode, uh, you'll know that this is one of the areas I'm keen to explore over the next year or so, that link between well-being, engagement, productivity, and how we support our people. Um, and I was delighted to recently get involved with some research from uh, with Nuffield Health, who's the UK's largest healthcare charity, uh, around uh, uh health in and well-being in the workplace and so I'm delighted today to be able to speak to Mark Hull from Nuffield Health. Mark would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah good morning Mervyn and um, I hope everyone is well. Um, so I'm Mark Hull from Nuffield Health as, as you said the uh, UK um, <coughs> the, the the, the nation's, I guess, the, the largest healthcare charity. Um, my role particularly is head of primary care and what primary care means uh, in the UK is clinical services outside of hospitals. Now, Nuffield Health have got uh, 37 hospitals, um, over 114 fitness and wellbeing centres and a number of healthcare and corporate clinics. Um, my responsibility is, is looking after those uh, primary care services across those centres. And that includes things like mental health services, physiotherapy, um, physiology, private GP, and our rehabilitation services that does happen outside of um, work in the community and at home. Okay, that's a fairly broad reach there. What? How did you do the research? And I suppose, uh, interesting, why did you do the research? Yeah, no, um, good question. So we call our research the Healthier Nation Index. And the Healthier Nation Index is Nuffield Health's own barometer of the state of the nation. Um, this is our second year doing it. Um, and it's actually been our first year of capturing the feelings and emotions of people in the workplace as well as those at home. Um, so <clears throat> the key findings um, was interesting this year because we were able to undertake the survey of just over 8,000 people asking about their physical fitness, their well-being, their lifestyle, both in their private life as well as at work in their, in their um, corporate organisations, I guess. Okay, and I suppose the, the the first question is, what were the top findings? Uh, I suppose if you want to, because some of it was personal as well, you were asking them, maybe split them between um, health and well-being in the workplace and then in their pers personal lives. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, the, the, the Healthy Nation Index really highlighted the number one concern um, amongst us all, which is our mental health. Um, for a few years now, we've been talking about the, the concern of mental health, both um, in our personal lives and social lives and our work. Um, but the pandemic and lockdown, new ways of working has really brought mental health in the workplace to the forefront of our minds. And our data, the Healthy Nation Index data, as well as other independent um, data that's out there across different organisations are really signposting to the, the number one concern being our own mental health. Um, so if I take some of the, the, the kind of key findings which our data suggests um, that shows two thirds of employees um, are uncomfortable about talking about mental health in the workplace. So we appear to be reducing the, the 
I guess, the stigma in some ways. We are talking about mental health more than ever, both in um, the uh, general population and the workplace. But still, the data, you know, from this year is showing that one in three still find it difficult talking about that with their managers, with their organisations. Um, so that was one of the top findings uh, for us. And, and in essence, what um, what also came about from the data is that one in um, three um, are also showing that their organisations are not providing any mental or physical support for them in the workplace. So there's lots of organizations that are attempting to put on um, healthier ways of working, um, provision for health services, but yes, one in three are still without any type of provision in the workplace here. Okay. Um, I suppose the, the, the mental health finding, I know is one of the ones that I picked up on um, and the fact that we, uh, so many people feel that they can't raise this. It's something like almost two thirds said that that if their mental health was bad and they wanted a, a day, you know, they didn't feel they they could work that day, they would make another excuse, be it either another health thing or, or just make an excuse about not being available to work, rather than raise this with managers. Um, and that's it's quite a myriad of reasons. They're worried about getting judged. They're worried about um, how they might be perceived, um, whether or not it will reflect on other things they do. I mean, what's did you find anything out about, about how possibly, I suppose, I'm thinking, how can we do things within organisations to, to uh, alleviate that, um, yeah. to, to enable people to open up effectively? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the number one... Um, message that that we should all talk about is it's okay to talk about it first and foremost you know there are still people who are reluctant to talk about it and the data is still showing quite rightly that um, to your point that people would rather say they had another health condition as opposed to raise um, that their mental health was their cause of their absence taking a couple of days off or, or maybe even longer if you talk if we talk about our general fitness and, and health um, as a whole. You know, if we've got a cough, cold, sore throat, um, bad back, we'd be the first to say, you know, I'm you know, unable to join that call today because uh, my throat is sore, I've got tonsillitis. You know, you happily talk about it. Or if you've got a bad back, you know, or a rugby injury or a cycling injury, you'd happily promote almost that you've got an injury because it, it suggests that you're active and you're physical, you've got back pain. Or oh, I'm having physio as well. It all sounds quite engaging and, and almost quite um, um, you know, beneficial to promote that. But when it comes to mental health, you, you will not... Um, in, in most cases, have people opening up and say, I'm going to take a few days off or I'm unable to join those big important meetings next week because I am just feeling overwhelmed. Those discussions just don't take place. And certainly to the point I made about people promoting themselves, going to see a, a physio or, or popping off to see their GP, people are less likely to talk about going to get emotional well-being or mental health support from a counsellor or a CBT therapist for example so the reasons for that uh, are you know on, on the spectrum of people being anxious about the stigma of poor mental health um, people are worried about what it might mean will it will it suggest that they're weaker in the organization 
Um, and bringing that to a, a real life situation um, away from my professional background, I've had a couple of um, friends and, and, and um, mates who have struggled and they've spoken to me because of my uh, professional background and asked me for advice um, as well as being a friend. And when I've asked them about talking to their managers um, in their workplace, they have both said that they spoke honestly about why they're off work, uh, which is great. But there, as a side effect to that, they really are now quite anxious about the impact it might have on future promotions in the workplace. The um, the feelings that they might not get the opportunity that they used to have from different senior leaders about partaking in projects or partaking in presentations or live events, et cetera, because of what they've told them about their mental health. So it is definitely that portrayal of I'm a weaker person because um, I've had some time off or have struggled with my mental health. However, you know, going back to my example, if they had a short term uh, episode of tonsillitis or low back pain or a hamstring injury, that they wouldn't be having that same thought. They mm. wouldn't be thinking, can't attend that workshop or that project because I've got a leg injury or back injury. Um, and what we need to do is try to normalise, you know, uh, mental health is health. Um, doesn't matter whether it's physical or, or mental. Yeah, it's almost with with physical injuries and, and people who've got viruses and stuff, it, it's they're clearly you know it is a reason why they cannot be be at work if they are working obviously in an office or a, a prime location. Um, but mental health is possibly to some uh, not seen as a reason to be not working uh, and possibly um, as we enter the, the, the you know, and uh, possibly an increased era of remote and flexible working. Um, it's almost a case of, well, you know, you can work from home. I, I know when I've been ill in the past uh, and it's, it's a physical or a virus thing, I can do some work from home. Uh, but mental health is almost like, well, you know, it doesn't make any difference whether I come to the office or not. I just need some time to myself uh, for whatever reason. And so, I mean, is that something that companies you think should be more alert to? Yeah, no, I, I think so. And if we want to go down the, the sort of channel of hybrid working and remote working, you know, we've, we've seen that it really can benefit us from a mental health perspective. Um, there are you know, definite more flexible ways of working, uh, reducing the burden of driving to work or commuting via public transport to and from the office, finding uh, a car park space close to your office, um, getting back to feed the children, uh, pick up the children's school runs, all of that that adds to our daily stress can be somewhat uh, reduced somewhat through uh, uh, flexible working or home working, depending on how we define that. Uh, but in essence, the, it can also contribute towards a, an increase in stress and, and poor mental health because of things like the always on culture. Your laptop is always on your dining room table or in your office available, you know, um, until the late evening of the day. You hear a team's call ringing on your laptop or phone, maybe that if you were you know, in a traditional office setting, you would clock off and and, and go home and, and not have that always on. So there really is that diversity and that um, that impact on mental health in different ways. Um, and when it therefore, when it comes to having that flexibility to for organisations to think about how people could take a few days off 
at home but still work even with uh, poor mental health um, or an acute episode of, of mental health for example it's really important for managers and organizations to understand the cause of that um, particular episode or that um, the struggles that the employee is going through and if that is around a project or a particular work uh, event that may be causing somebody to be suffering it's important to, to recognize that and it doesn't matter if they're in the office or working from home that stress or that strain is um is not going to be any different if they're working on that particular project at home or at work in the office so you know the other shout out and the call out here is to not just be open about mental health in the workplace but you know if the employee is willing to talk about what is causing it is it a home life social life work life is it a particular project at work that's causing them to have that increased anxiety or stress to find out why because there might be some short-term resolution by more flexible working reduced hours or even providing that individual a bit more support on that particular work topic for example okay um Obviously, you did research beyond mental health. I, I personally think it, it, it is an issue or it is a, a topic that we, we don't pay enough attention to mental health at work and, and will be very important over the next few years, certainly, as, as we settle into whatever the, the post-COVID working world is, plus uh, time of recession and, and, and economic hardship, which we will come to a little bit later. Um, you also uh, had other health data around kind of fitness, cholesterol, BMI. Um, what what were the signals you were getting from, from that? Yeah, no, good, good question. And, and around our general physical activity that came from the Healthy Nation Index, um, you, you know, we we uh, I'll just list out a few statistics here that we've got that over uh, just over a quarter. So 27 percent of the UK adults are motivated to exercise to increase their mental health and improve their mental health, which is which is great. Um, 11 percent of adults say their mental health has got worse, but is willing to do something about it. We've got uh, 60 percent um, say that a lack of motivation is um is a is a barrier to them exercising to get started so you know half the population are telling us they would like to exercise but they just can't get motivated for example um and interestingly uh 15 um, admit to having done no exercise in the previous 12 months to the survey um which uh, is staggering really um, because we define exercise not necessarily as gym classes or you know running but that includes any type of physical activity that causes somebody to get out of breath whether that is you know uh, walking um, gardening you know vigorous housework walking up and down stairs for example um, you know quite a few things on there but when we overlay some of our clinical data that we've got um, so at Nuffield Health we undertake health assessments on people across the UK uh, particularly in the workplace um, <clears throat> some of the data around our BMI and cholesterol is is really interesting actually we've done a deep dive on the data that compared our 2021 data so last year's data uh, immediately post-pandemic to the year before the pandemic so 2019 and we were finding that um 
that things like their fitness um, had decreased. So the amount of fit people in, in, in sort of the terminology, um, their physical fitness had got worse uh, since before the pandemic. Um, but things like um, cholesterol had improved, um, cardiovascular risk had improved, and significantly um, an improvement was seen in BMI um, and resilience, mental resilience as well. So there's an absolute mix mash of um, clinical data out there that are showing that in some cases we are fitter, we are healthier out there um, in the general public and in the corporate organisations, but also some data that showing we are still somewhat struggling. And when we look at the resilience component of our health assessments, we, we, we look at you know, how mental resilient they are. So despite the data showing that our mental health, um, the poor mental health is on the up, the resilience to that across a certain population does improve to be um, improving. Okay. The, um, I suppose it, it's, it's interesting that, that there is, I suppose, this, this, this difference between you know, people doing more exercise and people doing none. Um, and some of that might be, I suppose, a spillover from the last couple of years. Um, but again, the, the, I suppose one of the questions that, that, that comes to mind always is, is what is the role of the, the employer? So, you know, are they, because if you keep too much tabs on this, you know, it, 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 people want to live their lives. They want the flexibility and freedom. They don't want their employer telling them uh, you should do more exercise or this, that and the other. So what, uh, I suppose one of the themes that, that, that I've been wondering um, since I saw the research was what's the input? You know, what are the, the, the what what can an employer or somebody's manager or somebody's director or, or even teammate supervisor um, do to encourage somebody? I know if they've decided they're not going to do anything about it, there's a lot you can do. But obviously, you know, fitness and health affects performance at work um, as well as personal personal life so i mean have you got any ideas where, where how this could possibly be encouraged and raised yeah i mean it's really important first and foremost to to raise to jump on that point you made around you know the evidence around the productivity because there is a staggering amount of um, evidence out there and data that shows that a, a fitter healthier both physically and mentally healthier um, employees are more productive and um, are able to perform better in the workplace no matter what their job or career is um, so it's really important that when we consider about the approaches organizations can take to promote that it will have a positive return on investment from a productivity perspective. So keep that in mind when we're talking about what organizations can do. First and foremost, organizations owe it to their employees to um, attempt to promote the, the benefits and the positivities of activity and exercise in the workplace. So purely, you know, whether it's a dedicated team or in most cases, it tends to be an individual that's often tagged on to health and safety. So you might have somebody in an organization or workplace who is responsible for health, safety, well-being, and often environment and sustainability is tagged onto that as well. But it definitely, you know, have somebody or a team that are looking at strategies of how to improve the health and well-being of their employees um, is, is, is important. And there's definite return on investment of having that individual or that team because they are able to come up with initiatives that is um, focused on their employees based on their 
industry based on their activities that they do at work and their employee kind of demographics. So that definitely helps. Um, as far as what they can do, they, raising that awareness of you know, promoting positive health in the workplace. Um, where organisations can, you know, provide that um, functionality or facilities for um, health and wellbeing services. So some organisations will fund things like physiotherapy, counselling, CBT, health screening, health assessments, private GP, of course they can, um, and many organisations do. But others can simply adopt good habits by promoting things like focus time in the workplace. So having focus time on diary where you are promoting people to get out for a walk during the day, you are promoting people to take the stairs instead of elevators in the workplace. You are pro promoting things like workplace walks where teams can go out and have meetings while walking, for example. You could have uh, wellness days. Many organisations, including my organisation, Nuffield Health, we have uh, this year we had two wellbeing days and we were promoted to take those days for ourselves um, to do something healthy um, on ourselves, whether it was a, a walk or um, a bike ride or, or a day out at a spa or gym, for example. Um, there are initiatives that can be quite affordable, but will go a long way to the employees recognising that an organisation is taking the time and thinking about their health and well-being. For organisations that have got facilities that I talked about previously, or whatever they may have, um, things like employee assistance programmes are a cost-effective way of providing some support. Um, however, uptake of those types of services for mental health services or mental health support, should I say, is very low, unfortunately. Um, so often having a dedicated mental health service um, is proactive um, in supporting the employees. But what organisations need to do is consider how they promote those services because things have changed you know there used to be a time of having posters on the back of toilet doors in uh, locker rooms on notice boards but now with people coming into the workplace for particular meetings or working from home or you know having um, different ways of delivering their uh, their work people organizations need to consider how they promote what is available to employees whether that is through screensavers mail mergers out to their to their employees or um, having ambassadors or champions across the organization where they can uh, promote uh, what is available to them. The key thing that we've highlighted from the beginning of this podcast has been around the mental health and one of the key things that employers should consider is really you know what um, what they can provide employees at time of crisis. And in the last what, five, six years, uh, mental health champions or mental health first aiders, as they're known over here, um, is proven a very popular way of training and upskilling um, ordinary employees to be trained how to manage a crisis, um, how to manage an individual who has come to them about their mental health and how to signpost to services, whether that is internal to an organisation or external through um, you know, healthcare, public healthcare services or charities, for example. So again, that is another way an organisation can really respond to some of the data that we're seeing. Mm. 
Okay, uh, we're coming towards a close, uh, but this is a topic which kind of, you know, lends itself to, I think, um, a much longer uh, discussion and debate. Uh, so maybe uh, I'll have you back on the podcast at some stage. I suppose two things I wanted to raise. Uh, one of the things that, uh, or one of the findings rather, that your research showed was to do with uh, women and the menopause. And yeah. A lack of support, a lack of uh, um, knowledge, a lack of, um, I suppose, help um, for women who are going through the menopause uh, and understanding. And I suppose the other one, I, I don't mean to put them both together, but I suppose it's the two points I'd like you, you know, before we we wrap up to, to look at, is with the current economic situation uh, worsening, one of the things that as well, you found in research which unsurprisingly you know levels of anxiety and stress were rising uh but sleep was worsening it was quite noticeable how um how uh, worse people were saying their sleep was whether it's the quality of the sleep or the length of time they're able to sleep without kind of waking up and kind of tossing and turning and stuff so if i could i suppose use those two and say you know your your observations on those yeah, no, if I, if I start with the sleep, um, I mean, the data that we found was 74% of um, UK adults reported a decline in their quality of sleep um, in the 12 months leading up to the survey. And I think one of one in 10 people reported that they were getting only between two and four hours of sleep, um, which is which is unreal, you know, it's yes. un, un, and, you know it's unbelievable really because that amount of quality of sleep or, or not necessarily quality sleep that amount of sleep um is really going to burden their their general health and well-being and, and productivity in the workplace as we talked about um so uh, it's staggering really and i think what has led to that poor quality or particular um reduction in the amount of hours is um, probably directly an influence of uh, stress, worry, and anxiety. Um, I'm trying to think of when I personally struggle with my sleep. Um, number one was being a new father, you know, um, having a newborn child in the house where, you know, you are limited to a couple of hours sleep um, is number one. But the other occasion is where there is uh, stress, anxiety, or worry. You know, it's whether that stress is low level, such as I need to get up to catch an airplane or train tomorrow. You never have good quality sleep. Your mind is always on that thing that is burdening you. Um, and that might just be one night every now and again. But if you are struggling with something in your life, whether that is at work, at home, family member, whatever that might be, imagine having that type of broken sleep day in, day out, because you are constantly worrying about um, something, um, not just that one off, you know, needing to get up in the morning, that stress that anxiety is sitting with you that is directly going to um, be um, correlated with poor quality sleep. So a real investment in, in um, people's mindset of how they focus on sleep. There's been an increase in the use of meditation, mindfulness before sleep to try and switch off <clears throat> both mind and body. Um, thinking about how you use technology in the bedroom. So, you know, switching off mobile phones ipads tablets etc before going to bed um, is something people need to consider uh, the type of aesthetics in the bedroom you know making sure dark colors uh, blinds or curtains 
Tibetans uh, to really um, consider the natural sleep rhythm that we have to get into in order to have good quality sleep. Um, but in essence, you know, what most people should be focusing on is getting a, a good six to eight hours a night sleep. Um, and what works for some people might not work for others. Uh, but considering techniques of, of how to facilitate that before going to bed is going to be really important. Um, and then the, the, the second point you made around menopause, you know, menopause is a huge, a, a huge subject at the moment. There is lots of media and press um, articles out there around menopause, um, which is an absolute important topic. It's something that has not been addressed and has not had the subject of focus for uh, enough uh, leading up to sort of present day, really. Um, and it is really important that uh, in the workplace, organisations consider the impact of menopause has on their workforce um, when when the time comes. And it's around, you know, if we talk about uh, flexible working, you know, it's, a, it's, it's considering everything available to an employee if they were going through any other um, sort of life changing uh, episode. It's having that same flexibility uh, for those episodes as you should do for menopause. Um, you know, we've now seen organizations, high street shops that are bringing out clothing range for menopause. The attention it's getting is fantastic and, and, and absolutely it should have been there um, before now. Um, so there is definite uh, things to be done in the workplace to support individuals going through menopause, definitely. Thank you, Mark. Uh, a very illuminating, interesting, and I think quite a few good insights and advice there. Uh, really enjoyed chatting to you. Uh, the Healthier Nation Index is available and for, for people to access. And I think it's, it's, it's time to pause and reflect, um, particularly through, uh, I suppose, the more difficult times we might be going through, um, how organisations can support their people. Uh, which I think is going to be a big topic over the next two or three years. So uh, thank you for your time. And uh, I look forward to catching up with you again. Thank you, Mervyn. Appreciate it. <laughs>